0: Welcome friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life. And we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready. It's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation and you get value from the wisdom shared today, the absolute best way that you can always support, which means the world to me, is by sharing on social media and with the people that you love. Also, leaving a review ensures that other people around the world will get notified and have access to this content. So thank you so much in advance for being here and being part of this movement. Also make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health and your life. All right, so every day in my coaching practice, I hear from individuals who feel guilty and frustrated that they can't revamp their entire lives overnight. They feel frustrated that the very nutrition and wellness protocols that are suggested to them actually add more stress and busyness to their lives. And so this is ironic, right? But there is actually a number of simple ways you can improve your life without completely appending everything that you've been doing. And so to help us dive deep into how you can truly connect with this personalized health journey that works with you, works from a place of patience, intuition, and deep understanding, I invited the incredible... Phoebe Lapine, to sit down with us and talk about her journey of revamping her life through what she defines as a year-long wellness project. Phoebe is a best-selling and award-winning food and health writer, chef, wellness expert, culinary instructor, and autoimmune Hashimoto's and SIBO advocate and speaker. She's the host of the SIBO Made Simple podcast, where she equips individuals with information on how they can overcome their own underlying gut issues. And she also just released her second book, SIBO Made Simple. In our conversation today, we dive deep into why SIBO is often overlooked, why your body has such a powerful microbiome and some myths about it, and how you can navigate healthy diet protocols with balance. And so if you're struggling with gut issues or wondering why it feels like maybe you're doing everything right, but you aren't making progress towards your health, this conversation is perfect for you. Hi, Phoebe. Welcome to the Awesome Inside Out podcast. I'm so excited to reconnect with you.
1: Same. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: I remember we met in New York at a party my husband and I were hosting. And I remember through connecting, I really fell in love with your work and all of the impact that you're making in the health and wellness space. So really excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you. I'm sure it was like at a very different point in my health and professional journey <laughs> then than I am today.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing to just see our businesses evolve and change and shift based on our stories and what we go through, which brings me to your first book, The Wellness Project, where you share this beautiful year-long investigation of what finally helped you heal from an autoimmune and thyroid condition. And so I wanted to start there for the listeners that might not know your personal story or your journey and bringing them back into that and what it took to really heal from the inside out, because that's what this podcast is about. It's about you know going within yeah. physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally, spiritually to create these healing miraculous uh, experiences.
1: Absolutely. So I kind of got my start professionally in the food world as like a food woman of many trades doing a million odd food jobs around New York. And ironically, around the exact same time I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease that affects your thyroid gland. And, you know, most women who have Hashimoto's or some sort of thyroid condition never get diagnosed or, you know, have to fight through many doctors in order to get Mm -hmm. that precise autoimmune side of the diagnosis. And so in retrospect, I was incredibly lucky. I was diagnosed by my regular childhood doctor in my annual (laughs) blood work. And, you know, she just explain that it was Totally normal, nothing to worry about. It affects so many women, especially in their early twenties as it starts to crop up. And, you know, it was totally fixable. It just had to be on medication for the rest of my life. And so that last little bit, I was like, hmm, that didn't really jive with me. I wasn't like particularly like <laughs> naturally minded, but I definitely grew mm-hmm. up in a household that was. And, you know, my mom was really into homeopathy and, you know, bought organic before it was cool and like shopped at the health food store. That said, you know, she like took prescription medication and like I was on birth control pills. So obviously it wasn't to a certain extreme, but for whatever reason, I was like, you know what, Uh, that doesn't sound great to me. So I'm just going to go on living my life. And I just kind of pretended the conversation never happened. So, you know, there was like some maturity there, but then like really also a lot of immaturity too, because I didn't really feel like, you know, digging deeper and going with it to figure out how to heal in other ways. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I guess, you know, I was meant to kind of slowly wear myself down to some sort of rock bottom. And I definitely got there, you know, especially working as a chef and caterer, like it was a very physically demanding job. I was not treating myself well, like after hours, both nutritionally and, you know, (laughs) my social life was definitely on the fun side. And so eventually, you know, I just all of it caught up with me. I was basically like in the fetal position. Every time I ate, I like had to stop exercising because I would get this horrible cramp, like just trying to run half a block. And I was exhausted all the time, which is, you know, Hallmark Hashimoto's symptom. And then, of course, I wasn't sleeping through the night because I was waking up with night sweats and horrible insomnia. I had like terrible tingling in my hands and feet. And just like, you know, I didn't quite understand the time, but your thyroid is really like your internal thermostat. And mine was completely off. I would be, you know, freezing cold most of the time. But then if I would like climb the subway steps, I'd have to like rip off my jacket because I'd be pouring sweat and most of all I would say it was like the the vanity side of things that got me to like stop and pay attention because my skin was a total mess I had this rash called perioral dermatitis like around my nose and mouth and that had been kind of like an annual thing for a long time like even through high school but it just got to the point where like even you know whatever horrible thing my dermatologist prescribed like steroid cream or antibiotics like nothing was working anymore It just like was not going away so eventually I ended up, you know, in the office of someone with a more holistic perspective and they put me on an elim- elimination diet and tested for food sensitivities and kind of just explained to me like the very basic elements of my disease. And that was kind of like my first step into using my skills in the kitchen and using food as medicine. But Mm -hmm. it kind of opened up this other can of worms, I kind of say like the pendulum swung from denial to not necessarily obsession, but like definitely overwhelm. Like it just Mm -hmm. seemed like the laundry list of things I had to do on the natural front was just a like prohibitive financially, like Mm -hmm. b like gonna like torpedo my social life. And it just started to make me feel incredibly anxious. And I'm someone who's prone to anxiety anyway. But you know, I kind of had to stop at some point and be like, is what I'm doing here actually healthy? Like, what does it actually take to move the needle? And like, what's actually worth my time, money and energy? And that's where I kind of arrived for the concept behind the wellness project as like an actual thing I did. And then later, something I wrote about and made into a book, but I really kind of took a page out of Gretchen Rubin, who wrote the Happiness Projects book of kind of putting together, you know, more of a targeted, slow experiment, a slightly (laughs) more type A (laughs) approach, if you will, that actually, you know, on the back end gave me a lot more freedom and flexibility. And so I kind of just, you know, wrote down all of my wellness problem areas or kind of all of the areas that like I needed some sort of overhaul. So everything from, you know, my sleep habits to stress management to hydration to like detoxing my liver to detoxing all of my personal care products. Like when you're in your mid-20s and like write all these things down, it can feel like a really overwhelming to-do list. You know, the idea of the project was to just do things one month at a time, a few changes at a time, and to not necessarily make it cumulative, but to, again, really kind of figure out what was worth it. Because I do think that there are so many things, luckily, like so many practices, so many tools that you really can pick and choose and find the things that, A, like really Really move the needle physically, so are worth it, or that bring you some genuine pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really did work. (laughs) My blood work was like night and day by the end of it. And more importantly, I just felt so much less stress about how I was like facing kind of the give or take choices of everyday life. Cause you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the problem with healthy living and where it becomes problematic for some people is that we can only really control what's going on within the four walls of our home. And then when we're out in the world, you know, we have to make some sacrifices and that's okay. And also we eat through meals a day. So there are a lot of choices around that, that come up. So, you know, it just, it helps to have a little bit of flexibility mm-hmm. and to kind of know your own definition of what I call healthy hedonism, which was kind mm-hmm. of what the whole project was about, finding that kind of balance between what Nourishes your spirit, and when like, what actually like feeds your body. Mm,
0: I love that, and the two points that I love that you share because I think a lot of people are in this place as well is they often get a diagnosis and then they avoid it until they actually get to that place of what we would call rock bottom, and then it's often the vanity metric that pushes <laughs> us into the place of being like, oh, I, I actually want to step into into my health and wellness, or actually go to the functional medicine doctor or the integrative doctor or the naturopath, naturopath to, to really dive deeper into what's going on. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want to share with the listeners that it's something to become aware of, right? It's like, am I avoiding this diagnosis when really there are practical steps that you can take? And, you know, from a vanity place, how do I shift this into a self-love, self-worth, yeah. self-confidence place and doing the inner work, which I know you did over that year, <laughs> right? Of like really diving into the, to the inner space of like, what is the root cause of this? and what, why, how do I shift my mindset in order to? Take on these different practices over the entire year and integrate these as healthy habits that are sustainable. And that's why I love this idea of healthy hedonism, which you share is like simply put, it's doing right by your body without giving up your life. And I believe this is a topic needed more than ever right now because as the cases of chronic illness are increasing and individuals are hearing about holistic solutions, they often go into this panic, right? Of like Mm -hmm. feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to rehaul my whole life. So were there any mindset shifts or any Maybe self care practices that you did that really helped integrate this. Okay, I'm going to give myself this year to be patient and to to heal. And it doesn't have to be this quick fix that we hear about all the time for yeah. marketers. And, you know, the whole culture of dieting is basically a quick fix.
1: Totally. Yeah. No, I was definitely trying to avoid the quick fixes. That said, I do think that there were certain areas where kind of a one time change that maybe took a little bit more upfront investment, but then I just like never had to think about again. Mm-hmm. Or really- really Mm -hmm. useful. Because again, it's like, it's the stuff that's really like occupying our mind and, you know, plaguing us, you know, with decision making that I think can be a little bit corrosive. So I don't know, some examples for me was putting a filter on my tap and my shower. (laughs) There's just unfortunately a lot of junk in our tap water, even if it's from a well, just because there's so many chemicals in our environment right now. And especially for those with autoimmune disease, like that kind of toxic burden, just finding ways to slowly, lessen it is really important. And it's not, unfortunately, you know, the kind of change that you will like wake up and notice like a black and white, you know, health benefit in the same way that you will with diet, which is why, you know, people can use diet as like such a means of control for better or worse. It's because you really, you know, do see the most immediate results. But I felt so much better, you know, knowing I could kind of like safeguard my home in certain ways. And certainly the same goes for, you know, switching to more natural cleaning products and then slowly switching my beauty products over. That definitely, you know, probably took... Mm most of the year because I just, you know, switch things out once I used up, you know, certain old favorites mm-hmm. and like took the time to find things that I was excited about to replace them. And at the time, there are certain things I'm like, I will not give up like this, like powder pack, like I'm so damn it. And, you know, slowly over time, I, I've replaced those things, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. But I do think, you know, for me, it's kind of a no brainer. It's like I would never go back to buying, you know, conventional beauty products at Dwayne Reed, in the way that I did before. I just don't go to those retailers anymore. So it's not, it's, you know, a source of of pleasure for me, you know, shopping for new things as the same way as it was before. Mm-hmm. And I don't really like stress about it. But at the same time, you know, all these things I think allow you to have more flexibility when you're outside of your circumstances. And yep. if I'm traveling to a hotel and I like forget to pack my like mm-hmm. valet free like shampoo and conditioner, I'm not going to freak out. I'll like use their shampoo and conditioner and not and not stress about it. Right. It's really just about incremental change.
0: Yeah. You can definitely go down the rabbit hole. I personally have where I remember going to a, a hotel in downtown LA and I was carrying my big air filter in and it was a summit event and I like ran into my friends and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I <I'm- laughs> And I was like, I can't sleep without my Intellipure. And I was like, this has gone too far. I need to <laughs> reel this
1: back. Funny, that's also what I have too. I have the Intellipure.
0: And, uh, yeah, it's an, and it's amazing, right? And it it you know you do notice after a few months the the difference in sleep quality. You do notice the difference in your skin and how you feel and your mental clarity once you start transitioning a lot of these things out. But I, but at that point, I was like. Okay, I need to reel this back. Like this is kind this of a little far, and it's about not adding that extra stress of like, right. like you said, if the world is going to present you with lots of different things and can't always stay in the in the scope of what you ideally would like to, and so you have to find definitely find the balance. And so I'd love to transition to your newest book, uh, Sibo Made Simple, which I love. The recipes are incredible, and I don't have Sibo, but I still love the book so much. <laughs> And it's on my counter and I'm always like sharing with my husband, I'm like, can you cook this for me? Or like I always try to inspire him to cook. But I think it's important to, to be talking about SIBO now as the wellness world expands, there's a lot of talk about autoimmune and leaky gut and thyroid conditions, but SIBO hasn't been discussed to the extent that I believe it should be given the fact that like 60% of all IBS cases are said to be caused by the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So for those that don't know about SIBO, I'm curious how you got into this, this work and what inspired you to write this book. And then if you could just share a little bit about SIBO specifically, what it is and why it might often be overlooked by medical practitioners Mm -hmm. and even integrative and uh, functional medicine doctors.
1: For sure. So I seem to be in the business of writing books that I wish I had had when I was going (laughs) through, you know, a certain health crisis. So ironically, after the wellness project came out, I think like probably like seven months after it came out or like when like the book tour kind of like slowed down, I started to notice that like some IBS symptoms had creeped back into my life. And I, of course, did a ton of research on gut health, for the book and I had a whole month dedicated to gut health where I was like doing all of my my microbiome sensei's advice of just loading up on inulin rich vegetables and taking probiotics and eating fermented foods and eating like beans beans and more beans and so I just kind of doubled down on those things and started notice I was just getting more and more bloated and more and more mm-hmm. miserable every time I ate and so you know eventually I've always had a whole team of medical professionals with degrees who I <laughs> seek out for these things. And so I went back to my functional medicine doctor and kind of described these symptoms as like, you know, I had this like pouch that never seemed to go away. Like, maybe like I wake up in the morning and like not have it. But like as soon as I ate, like the bloating would come back. And I was burping a lot in the middle of meals, which was strange. I was like not something I'd really experienced ever before. And so luckily, you know, he had the wherewithal to give me a SIBO test. And, you know, lo and behold, it was positive. And I really, truly had heard of SIBO in passing, but did not come across a whole lot of info about it when I was doing my research. And so I kind of fell down the internet rabbit hole and just was trying to figure out what to do. Again, like I was so lucky to have a doctor who, you know, was savvy with it and who sent me home with like a few pages on what to do, like diet and lifestyle wise. But you know, as anyone who's seen a doctor knows, you know, there's still Mm -hmm. so much off the back end that, you know, falls in your lap that requires your own agency. And luckily I'm just a psycho. And so I (laughs) went into like research overdrive. Mm -hmm. And it was just wild. Like kind of what I came across was really confusing. There was a lot of conflicting opinions. So much of the research is still in its nascency. So there was a lot of question marks still. And, you know, every practitioner kind of had their own methods and range of treatments. And I just felt like, okay, well, I got to like synthesize all of this info for people out there and for myself. And that's kind of always what I do on my site anyway. So I ended up writing about it in kind of like a three-part series. And it was just wild. Like my audience immediately (laughs) responded and was like, whoa thank you. Like I have SIBO too, like blah, 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 blah. And you know, my mom, I joke in the book about this, but my mom at the time was like, Phoebe, how amazing, like your audience, like really seems to be resonating with the SIBO material. It's incredible that you're able to attract, you know, SIBO people so quickly. And I was like, no, mom, like my audience already has SIBO. (laughs) And I, now that I've learned more, there is actually a huge overlap with Hashimoto's and of course, and with many autoimmune diseases and SIBO. So I'll just give, you know, people a little primer for what it is. But as you mentioned, it stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And really, I think, you know, kind of, one of the issues in the wellness world as things get watered down for the general public is that a lot of people don't understand that when people refer to you know your good gut bacteria, your gut microbiome, for the most part, they're really referring to the large intestine. That's where the majority of those microbes live. It's where they facilitate and kind of the last leg of the digestive labyrinth. And other areas, You know, other organs, everything kind of has its own unique ecosystem. But the small intestine is not really designed To have a huge population of bacteria, it's where you absorb your nutrients. And, you know, if there are other critters kind of competing for that food, it can cause a host of problems. So, what happens with SIBO is just when those numbers proliferate and the population grows to a certain size and that bacteria starts eating your food. And when they eat your food, they release gas. And because you're now like kind of so far from an exit ramp, that gas gets trapped. And in the case of the burping, tries to come out, force its way out Mm -hmm. any way possible. But more often than not, kind of like the hallmark SIBO symptom is just really uncomfortable bloating. A lot of women, you know, report that they look like they're in their second trimester, like super pregnant. And, you know, it's kind of like presses up against your ribs and just like feels like really palpable uncomfortable distension. And as you mentioned, it overlaps hugely with IBS and is said to be, you know, kind of the root cause of a lot of, you know, just kind of blanket diagnoses of IBS. And you know, the the hallmark symptoms of IBS are bloating and distension, abdominal cramping, diarrhea, constipation or a mix of the two. And that's definitely kind of like the top line symptoms of SIBO. But then because The bacteria can cause so much destruction. Some of that destruction is intestinal permeability and leaky gut, which can then lead to more kind of systemic inflammation and you know, dovetailing with a lot of autoimmune diseases. So you'll see kind of in that long list of SIBO symptoms, like some things on the autoimmune spectrum, like Mm. skin issues, joint pain. Of course, you know, so much of our gut health is like goes in tandem with our mood. So anxiety or depression depression, weight loss or weight gain, kind of depending on what types of critters are overgrowing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it can be kind of Tricky to diagnose in some ways because of that. But, you know, there's more and more awareness that's growing for SIBO, for better or for worse. You know, even some functional medicine doctors say that it's being overdiagnosed now. The diagnostic test for it is a breath test, which is kind of labor intensive and weird (laughs) and, you know, doesn't always have like the highest rate of accuracy. It's basically just a little bit of the wild, wild west in the world of SIBO. And it's kind of why there are so many real. Really niche practitioners who specialize in it. And those are kind of the practitioners that I ended up like really nerding out with. And I started Mm -hmm. my own podcast just on SIBO, which is also called SIBO Made Simple. But really, you know, there are just so many people who are leading the charge in both educating fellow practitioners and also patients on this, and hopefully, you know, I'm part of that group now too, which is nice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It, the The testing is is very bizarre. <laughs> like my husband I made my husband do one and myself at the same time, and I was, it was like you're you're drinking this like what sugary liquid yeah. and then blowing into this tube, and it's going feel to the like end a mad of the tube. Yeah. yeah, it's like this weird thing, and you have to do it these different times. Um, it's definitely an interesting test, and it feels quite comical sometimes while you're doing it. But but for SIBO specifically, what I've also heard is that you have to uncover like the root cause of what is causing the bacteria that's growing. And there could be several reasons for this. So again, it's kind of this wild west of trying to figure out well why is the bacteria overgrowing specifically in this part of part of my body. So maybe we could dive a little bit into Potentially what could be causing this. And and I've heard food poisoning and some other things. So yeah, what, what would be like the main causes and then you know how would people start to address those causes?
1: Yeah. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I think as you know, awareness for SIBO grows and more more and more of these diagnoses are handed out, like kind of one of the issues is that similar to IBS, it's just, you know, it's an answer, you slap them, you know, with that diagnosis. <laughs> In the case of SIBO, there's actually, you know, a path to treatment which is good. But if you don't kind of figure out, as you mentioned, like what's actually causing the digestive system to go off the rails, it can become chronic. And that's where, you know, so many people just find themselves in like patterns of years of treatment and just bouncing between doctors and just really, really desperate and frustrated. And I get messages from a lot of these people all Mm -hmm. the time. So kind of like IBS, you know, SIBO is not a disease in and of itself. It's really a sign that something has gone wrong in order for your digestive system, which is designed to prevent bacteria from overgrowing in the small intestine for that to happen. So it was really funny for me because I feel like I learned actually so much more about the digestive system itself and how it functions from researching SIBO than I did in all of my research on autoimmune disease. And okay, so I would put it into three different categories. So the first category maybe is more of like a risk factor, but essentially I would call it bacteria not killed. So we have all of these antimicrobial substances that are literally designed to make sure that whatever is naturally coming in through the nose and mouth, you know, whatever pathogens, good or bad, don't end up, you know, taking up residence in areas of the body where they're not supposed to be areas of the digestive tract. So we have stomach acid. That's kind of, you know, the first place where any of those things would get neutralized. Then of course, you know, the small intestine is not water-based like the large intestine. It's full of bile and acid. And so we've got, you know, the bile acids, the pancreatic enzymes, all these various things that are naturally kind of antimicrobial substances. And then there's your own immune system. So your own immune system is designed that if, you know, a pathogen makes it to the small intestine and tries to, you know, take root that they will get involved and, you know, neutralize that sucker as well. So there is kind of like a whole list of various things that could fall in that category, low stomach acid, obviously being one of them and being on a proton pump inhibitor, which is a medication that limits stomach acid is actually a huge risk factor for SIBO. But then if, you know, you're immunocompromised or on immunosuppressants, that would be on the list. If you're, you know get your gallbladder removed and don't have you know those um essential uh, substances you know funneling mm-hmm. to the small intestine that would kind of fall on the list and then kind of the second bucket is something having to do with the mechanism called the migrating motor complex, which is kind of responsible for cleaning up after a meal in the small intestine. It's what essentially makes sure that there's no kind of debris left behind, whether that's food or, you know, bacteria or anything. Our small intestine is incredibly long and windy. There's like a lot of nooks and crannies and opportunities for things to get left behind or for an opportunist to like pull off the highway and like take up residence and stay a while. So this kind of like propulsive motion, this propulsive movement that's fueled by your nerve cells kicks in during a fasting state of 90 minutes or more. So presumably in between meals. And it just is kind of like the street sweeper of your small intestines, just make sure that all that stuff gets moved down the road. And so it's said that like kind of a huge category of dysfunction that would lead to SIBO is something going wrong with this migrating motor complex. Unfortunately, there are a lot of different conditions and lifestyle factors down to, you know, medications, Stress is, you know, really can mess with the migrating motor complex. It can also lower your stomach acid, Um, you know, eating too close to bedtime. There's like a lot of different things like that and snacking. If you're, you know, snacking all the time, that migrating motor complex is not going to switch on in the same way that it's supposed to because, again, you need that fasting state. But then also, you know, conditions like Hashimoto's and a lot of autoimmune diseases that, of course, affect the integrity of the gut. So, you know, IBD, celiac, you know, any sort of... um, condition that's causing a lot of damage to the gut can affect motility and the migrating motor mm-hmm. complex. Antibiotics, another one. So then the third category is kind of structural stuff. So there's a big correlation with any sort of abdominal surgery in SIBO because even, you know, after the scars kind of heal on the outside, sometimes there's internal scar tissue that kind of forms and binds to your organs and may prevent them from, you know, moving as smoothly or as freely as normal. There's, of course, you know, like more concrete create structural issues like missing the back door between your small intestines and your large intestines. So there could be some backflow or having some sort of dysfunction with that valve called the ileocecal valve. And there's kinks or various issues with the small intestine themselves. But I'd say more commonly, like those abdominal surgeries are pretty prevalent. And then, you know, it's just, you can think about it just in terms of your own structural issues and your alignment, like even having some sort of accident may put you like put one foot in multiple categories. So like that's kind of the classic example that I give, like, let's say you were in a car accident growing up or you fell off a horse. Unfortunately, traumatic brain injury can also affect the migrating motor complex. And, you know, the brain gut connection is super serious. And again, like really affects just the everyday mechanics of what your digestive system does. So, you know, that could have stunted your migrating motor complex. Complex, but then, you know, maybe as you healed, your organs, you know, aren't moving as freely as possible. So you have one foot in the structural camp. Maybe, you know, it was a serious enough accident that you were put on medication, be it antibiotics or opioids or something. Both of those would also limit motility. And yeah, it's just pretty wild how so many Mm -hmm. of these things can come together to form the perfect storm. A lot of the time, you know, most people don't have just one root cause, a lot of people can identify multiple things. Because if you think about it, you know, in order for the migrating motor complex to be a problem, you know, the bacteria have to get there in the first place. And same with the structural issues. So usually one of those bacteria not killed risk factors do Mm -hmm. come into Mm -hmm. play. And then you mentioned food poisoning, which is a really interesting one. And that often is kind of like the catalyst, like one of the matches that lights the whole thing on fire. Mm -hmm. I would also Mm -hmm. say stress is a really common one. I mean, I know exactly what I did that year. I didn't have food poisoning like a hundred percent. I have a lot of risk factors, but it was like probably the stress of book tour that lit that Mm -hmm. match for me. So with food poisoning, you know, you have this kind of acute experience. It maybe lasts 24 to 48 hours and you're obviously miserable during that time. But in the process of kind of warding off whatever pathogen has made it into your small intestine, your immune system can sometimes through kind of a case of mistaken identity actually damage the nerve cells of the migrating motor complex. So that is not something you may notice, you know, in the moment, a lot of people like recover and, you know, feel fine a few days later, but then a few weeks or a month down the line start to have this kind of IBS stuff cropping up. And it's Mm -hmm. because, you know, kind of with that stunted migrating motor complex stuff has slowly, you know, accumulated over time to the point where maybe it can be the tipping point to an overgrowth. But yeah, that's kind of one of, a really interesting case because it is kind of like autoimmune reaction that may not be a long term thing, but then can cause you know kind of this short term or mid term <laughs> problem of SIBO. Yeah, it's
0: so profound. If you were to shift the mindset though from like, oh my gosh, all these things happened and this manifested into the SIBO, to wow, what if I just did a timeline of my life and started to mm-hmm. really pinpoint everything on an actual. You know, writing out the exact dates of all of the different things that happen. and then noticing how everything is so beautifully interconnected, and how our bodies are so beautifully interconnected, where if one thing happens, like a like a car accident, how that can, shift our whole health and well-being three, four years down the road. I remember when I was in functional medicine training, they were like, have every client do a timeline of their life and write down every single thing that was traumatic or every time they took antibiotics that they can remember every time they you know went to the hospital because then those can really pinpoint when things start to shift. And like you said, what is that perfect firestorm that causes the next thing to really... Yeah elevate. And um, and when we start to recognize what potentially and what is causing the problem, then we see the root cause and what can what can heal it as well. And so I love that you dove into that and shared that. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I wanted to also dive into the into some of the myths of the microbiome because I think that right now more than ever, people are like, oh, I'm just going to pop a probiotic or take yeah. some prebiotics and, and that should solve the problem, but it doesn't necessarily always fix the problem, right? It might make your digestive tract feel a little bit better, or you might be going to the bathroom a few more times of the day, but until what I believe until we change our lifestyle factors and really change our habits, we're not really creating sustainable mm-hmm. well-being. And that takes some time, not just one supplement, right? So yeah. I'm curious on these myths because I think it's more important than ever that people people understand some of these.
1: Yeah, I know. Probiotics have just become <laughs> such a juggernaut in the wellness world. And you know, I'd say a myth that I tried to dispel even with the wellness project is that you're not like necessarily like seeding your micro Microbiome. Like you're not like adding critters to the population per se. They're kind mm. of acting as transients. So, And in doing so, they can have a halo effect where you can, you know, foster the population of your good gut uh, microbes. But really their tool is to kind of fine tune the immune system. And in doing so, that kind of creates the right environment, the right ecosystem for, you know, certain microbes to thrive and for others to potentially, you know, be blessed blasted out by your immune system. On the flip side of that though, you know, a lot of, not a lot, but many probiotics can be problematic for people with SIBO if like, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on your tolerance and the type of probiotic, Mm -hmm. kind of the most commonly found variety is a lactobifido blend. And those are kind of the types of bacteria that are more often than not found with SIBO. And that's also a big clarification I want to have for people is that bacteria is not the enemy. We're not talking about like good versus bad bacteria. It's just an issue of location, not type. So some people can find, you know, depending on what their root cause is, you know, if it's motility or structural, you know, if you're popping tons of probiotics, there's a chance that, you know, those are just like not getting stuck, but like, you know, kind of joining the population of um, bacteria that you don't want in your small intestine. So I'm just saying that because if you notice that like your probiotics don't make you feel well, and like this conversation is resonating for other reasons, you know, that could be something Mm -hmm. that tells you something. It certainly was for me, you know, again, I was kind of popping a lot of fermented foods and drinking a lot of kombucha, and it was just making me more and more miserable. And the same goes for, you know, a lot of foods that, you know, microbiome specialists tell you to eat, or more importantly, foods that are just really popular in the wellness sphere right now. Like, you know, you think you're doing the healthy thing by like making the cauliflower crust pizza with like the cashew cheese instead of (laughs) maybe regular pizza (laughs) with regular cheese. And you're like, Oh, that makes me actually much more reactive (laughs) than Mm -hmm. regular pizza. That's because, you know, these things are your bacteria's favorite foods. And again, like that's all well and good when the bacteria is in the right place and you want to be feeding them, but it can make you really miserable when they're in the wrong place and you're feeding them things that like are quite gas producing. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, just things to keep in mind. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of other myths. Um, I mean, one one myth I kind of always gravitate to like is just the idea that we need to be snacking and we need to be like Mm -hmm. eating lots of, you know, some people need lots of small meals throughout the day. Like, okay, sure. Like we all metabolize differently But if you think about like, again, just the mechanics of our digestive system, like, no, like our body is actually built to be going through longer periods of time without eating anything so that our system has time to catch up. And I think it's really important for people who have, you know, kind of slower, more stagnant systems. Certainly Hashimoto's people fall into that category. And, you know, if you have blood sugar issues, you know, or other hormonal imbalances and can't function on just, you know, three well-balanced meals a day, that's obviously, you don't want to be stressing your system out. You have to work within those parameters. But I do think it's aspirational (laughs) to Mm -hmm. find a way Mm -hmm. to, A, design your meals in a way that will satiate you for at least three or four Preferably five hours, and to try and you know stick to those three meals a day.
0: Yeah, and it it absolutely makes sense that our digestive system needs a rest as well. Like it needs to take a, take a breather, just like the rest of our bodies. Yeah. And that's why I think even the I'm not a big faster, but I do oh. believe and subscribe to the fact that my body needs that time between dinner and breakfast or late breakfast to. To heal and to settle and to rest. And so I think it's important just to be in the remembrance of intuitively what our bodies really need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, meal spacing is different than fasting. Like if fasting is mm-hmm. something that hasn't resonated with you, like that's no big deal. Cause actually overnight is when our migrating motor complex, like that element of our digestive system naturally slows down. So I get this all the time. Like, well, like, you know. 90 minutes or more, like, what about overnight? Like, you're going to be getting the job done then. And the answer is no, actually, you're not. So I actually think it's more important to find those windows during the day if you can, than, you know, to go the kind of extended window overnight, though, you know, certainly in the morning, you're going to have, you know, some awake time for your digestive system to catch up. But ideally, I think it's even better to make sure that you're eating earlier at night so that you're not going to bed with kind of stuff mm-hmm. still hanging out in your system that's just going to again, like kind of sit where it is overnight.
0: Absolutely. So there's this idea that like you shared before that I just want to come back to, which is stress can cause and even increase SIBO, right? It can make it worse. But the irony is that oftentimes when we hear about the SIBO diet or the (laughs) FODMAT diet, it feels even more stressful, which can cause stress on our lives. And so I'm curious just real quickly, because I know know we're coming to an end, but I, I would love to just talk about like what the protocol looks like in terms of... healing SIBO, what you've done. I know that they can dive deeper into this, into your book and follow the entire protocol. But I would love to just for the listeners to kind of hear what this looks like and then how you manage this and how you work with people to really shift this mindset. Because for my work, it's about looking at how do we view this restriction, right? Mm -hmm. As not a diet, but like a way of life to get better so that we can hold our self-love from a place of like, okay, this is the vision I want for my future. I want to have this healing and I want to be healthy down the road for my family, for the life I want to create, for the purpose and the impact I want to have. And so although it could be restrictive, we can shift that right and that belief system into, wow, this is really an empowering way to live and to heal. Um and so I'm curious for you how you manage that. Cause I, I can only imagine for most people I know when when my functional medicine doctor is like, we're tweaking this or we're tweaking that, like there's that moment of like, oh my gosh, more like I have to do more. But then reeling it back to like, no, this is a choice from a place of of self-love. And so I'm curious for you what that's looked like and then what this protocol has kind of looked like to heal.
1: Yeah. So I mean more most traditionally, like SIBO requires some sort of kill phase. like, And I would put that like, that's the treatment. That is not the healing. It's very different. And I think that's actually where people can get into trouble with SIBO is just thinking that, you know, just do the antimicrobials or the antibiotics and like, then you're kind of done. And like, why am I feeling so symptomatic at the end of my treatment? I thought I was helping myself. And it's because then there's this entire runway, unfortunately, of actually healing the gut afterwards that comes next. I will say though, you know, going back to exploring the root causes, I do think that there are more alternatives cropping up that like we're getting concrete evidence for that just goes beyond the kind of traditional, you know, herbal antimicrobials or antibiotic route and just kind of going directly to some of the root causes. Like hypnotherapy is really incredible for IBS. It's very, it's got great data attached to it. They're now doing more studies about it in SIBO. And again, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of targets the idea of like the stress and the mental component that mm-hmm. could be mm-hmm. driving some of the, these issues and, you know, exploring the possibility that like in just tackling, you know, that side of the coin, you could move the needle enough to actually get rid of your SIBO. And I do think that's possible. I think it's possible through body work. And certainly I think it's beneficial to be using some of these other modalities, even in conjunction with the kill phase, because you're going to be rehabbing some of the root causes at the same time. And I'm just offering the the possibility to those out there who have maybe already been through the ringer with SIBO to just go straight there to maybe experiment outside of the box with some of these things. Mm -hmm. So then, yes, you mentioned the low FODMAP diet and just diet in general, that can kind of dovetail with the treatment phase in various ways or every practitioner kind of does it differently. But more often than not, it kind of factors into like the healing portion of things. And the low FODMAP diet is essentially kind of like the opposite of what every microbiome specialist tells you to (laughs) eat. It's like the no list or a lot of those ingredients that I mentioned, like cashews, (laughs) cauliflower, inulin-rich veggies, you know, garlic An onion would be like kind of the big pain points on that diet. But essentially, you know, the misconception is that by taking out these foods, you're starving the bacteria and unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. It may control your symptoms, but most often than not, diet alone is not enough to actually treat SIBO and get rid of it. But it certainly can help your gut kind of, you know, take a little breather afterwards and maybe, you know, encourage like the, the last <laughs> the last few critters to, to migrate mm-hmm. where they're supposed to be. But I do think, you know, because of all the damage that happens with SIBO, the leaky gut or whatnot, that's kind of the most important element of the healing phase is just to reduce inflammation as much as possible since food sensitivities as a result of the leaky gut are a reality for a lot of SIBO people and just, you know, let things calm down. That's kind of where the healing happens It's just removing all the insults, adding as much ammunition to heal as possible and remembering that food is not the enemy because unfortunately for SIBO people, since it is what you actually react to, like it's not in your head, like you're reacting to eating, <laughs> right. um, it can Absolutely. make, you know, make your relationship with food a little bit tortured and especially, mm-hmm. you know, your relationship with a lot of healthy food. It's like a lot of vegetables. So I would just like encourage people and remind people that as much as, you know, it can be the source of a lot of the pain. It's also, again, like where all of the nutrients that you need to heal are going to come from.
0: Yeah. And I love that you pointed out that about the vegetables, because so often people come to me so frustrated and so struggling because they're like, I feel like I'm doing everything right. And that can be a very discouraging point where then we flip the pendulum of like, well, screw it. Like I I've done the veggie diets, I've done the plant-based, I've done <laughs> I've done all these things, and yet I'm not getting better. And I think this is why knowledge and education and sharing these stories and in our own personal journeys is more important than ever before because it's only through education that we can recognize, okay, it's not that you were doing anything right. Your intention was right. It's just that your Body is responding to certain foods differently, and for a period of time, it's important to remove those and and to heal. And so, the work you're doing is so incredible, and I just so appreciate you. In terms of where people can find you and your book and all the things, can and I know you have a new course coming out, which is exciting as well. So, I would love for them to just be able to find out more because I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people that are like, "Wow, this really resonates with me" because I feel like I'm doing everything right, and maybe this is the missing piece.
1: Yeah. So, I have a website. Website called feedmephoebe.com with tons of free healthy recipes. That's kind of like what I do. And also, you know, free resources on SIBO if you want to learn a little bit more. You can also find my podcast. That's like, you know, 52 hours of free information about SIBO and a lot of the kind of overlapping conditions. And then for the book itself, you can go to sebomadesimple.com and there are lots of links to find it all over the internet and in physical bookstores too. And then my other website, I'm very decentralized, um, <laughs> the Wellness Project is where you can find out more about that book. But more importantly, it's where I launched um, a course kind of off the back end of that book called Four Weeks to Wellness. And mm-hmm. we're about to start our spring session. And I've had a lot of SIBO folks come through. I actually I was going to start a new SIBO course, but then it's funny, like a lot of the lifestyle habits that we kind of learned in that course that I kind of learned off the back of, you know, doing the wellness project mm-hmm. were so mm-hmm. important when it came to SIBO healing. Like it was just like kind of remembering all of the foundational stuff anyway. So I've had a lot of SIBO amigos through there and it's been really helpful for them. There's a a low FODMAP meal plan associated with that and also a lot of more low FODMAP resources on that site too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: love that, and I love the the piece that you shared. That a lot of times these mindfulness components and these self care practices are going to be the same regardless of what you're healing. Oh yeah, I think that's really important for for listeners to hear here. So once you start integrating the meditation, the mindfulness practices, the journaling, the forgiveness components, it's going to be similar, depending, you know, regardless of what you're healing. And the point that I think is really powerful is like, for example, if you did get in a car accident and you start to heal SIBO, that trauma may resurface, mm-hmm. and that's where the hypnosis and the meditation, the mindfulness, and the self care really come in, right? And so it's integrating both sides. It's integrating the, the physical side with the emotional and mental side, and then also also the spiritual side. And I and I think that that's why it's so important to, to slowly go through these practices. And your course sounds incredible for that because it can be integrated into anything that you're you're going through. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much again for being here. It was so wonderful to reconnect with you. I love what you're doing. And hopefully maybe soon, someday when this (laughs) pandemic is over, I will get to see you again in New York. So I would love that.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me. This was a pleasure. So welcome. I absolutely loved this conversation with Phoebe. And after listening to this conversation, I trust that you feel inspired to give attention to what your body truly needs without feeling you need to completely rehaul your entire life. And so when I work with clients, I always recommend starting with the simplest steps first. What is easy to integrate without the stress? And so there are so many simple tools at our disposal that really cost nothing and spark a really powerful impact that are these fundamentals of our health and well-being that again are so overlooked. And so you've heard these time and time before, but I wanna remind you to start by simply looking at the places in your life that you can integrate healthier ways of being that you already know about. So for example, drinking plenty of water, getting a solid seven to eight hours of sleep, Breathing throughout the day, actually stopping and breathing and connecting to your breath, meditating, journaling, spending time in nature, specifically barefoot, cultivating and fostering healthy relationships, finding ways to get involved in community, making home cooked meals and going to the farmer's market and really connecting to where your food is coming from. And then lastly, detoxifying your home from chemicals like Phoebe shared and starting to integrate healthier options one thing at a time. And so I know if you're here, you know that these are the 101 fundamentals of our health and you've heard of all of these things before. But this week start to get curious, curious about are you actually focusing on these fundamentals or maybe you're trying to jump to the overhaul or the quick fix without going back to the basics first. I trust that as you start to integrate these staples of health back into your life, you will absolutely see a massive, massive difference. Now, before you go, maybe you're struggling to tune out others' opinions and honor your inner guidance. Maybe you need a community that supports you on that journey. And so if any of this resonates with you, I invite you to join the awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for everyone who is already part of that group, Thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. And so if you enjoyed today's conversation, I recommend checking out my Monday coaching series. Every Monday I drop 15 to 20 minutes of inspiration and love to help you start your week off right and so that you can integrate one powerful mindset shift to really support you and help you throughout the week ahead and also as always drop me a message on instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts i love hearing from you let me know what's resonating what you want to hear more about and how i can support you in becoming happier and healthier this is really about a movement of us all coming together and i want to celebrate you so make sure to tag me in your posts so that I can reshare. You can find me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart. And until next week, I'm sending you a massive virtual hug, so much love, and I trust that you will have an epic, beautiful, incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, Not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it, but you are here. You are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.